to the common good. I'm Patricia Duff, and tonight, on the eve of the one-year anniversary of the January 6th attack on the Capitol, we are honored to have very special guests from Congress and the press for a penetrating conversation. But before I get to this incredibly important discussion, I'd like to acknowledge a few honorables and VIPs in our audience. We have Honorable Advisory Board uh, Member Jay Johnson, Secretary Jay Johnson, um, terrific uh, business leaders, Bernard Schwartz, Kay Koplovitz, Stan Schumann, the Honorable Donald Blinken and Vera Blinken, the Honorable Gillian Sorensen, Warren Ho, Rick Reese, and many, many others. Uh, so many uh, tonight who, and many who just signed on very recently. Of course, Press Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Judy Miller and other journalists may join us tonight. Um, so welcome to all of you and our other notables tonight. You know, when we adopted the name of this organization, The Common Good, um, it was in direct reaction to growing concern about those in Congress who blunted bipartisan cooperation and civility that we'd known in previous years and worried that about the efforts by many politicians and operatives to increase partisan animus for political advantage. It was clear that that was lamentable. However, not in our worst nightmares could we have imagined that these nasty partisan efforts of that day would pale in comparison to what has become a cancer on our nation and our ability to function as a democracy and culminating for the moment in what appears to be an effort, however maladroitly handled, to stop the certification of a free and fair election. And still, how is it that so many believe that the breach of the Capitol was to halt a stolen election uh, and others see it as a radical breach of our democracy to overturn an election. That effort at the very least would have thrown our nation into a major constitutional crisis and its goal would have been in effect a coup, an historic first in our history. We so admire representatives here tonight and the press tonight for their efforts. And while others may work to divide and even tear our country apart, we too at the Common Good fight division and discord with honest and open conversations like the discussion tonight. So to all in the audience, thank you for joining our important conversation today. It wouldn't be as meaningful without your participation. I'm gonna let our brilliant moderator, my great friend of the Common Good, our honorary advisory board member, president emerita of the Wilson Center, former nine-term representative and author of Insanity Defense introduce our special guest, but I have to say, I am so thrilled to have an esteemed friend from Congress, Adam Schiff here today, also with a new book. And I hope we have new friends, Congresswoman Madeline Dean, who is the manager in the second impeachment trial just weeks after the second January 6th attack, along with journalist Jasmine Aloha from the Boston Globe, who was in the People's House and witnessed that eventful day only one year ago. Thank you all so much for joining the Common Good today. And now, good friend, I give the floor to you, Jane. Well, thank you, Patricia. I'm gonna talk as fast as I can because this is a packed hour on a fraught day before, I think, uh, the, a year after the, the darkest day in, in the history of the United States. And that includes the Civil War uh, and where our government almost fell. So that's how seriously I take this. Um, I want to say Happy New Year to many dearest friends on this call. I mean, one of the great things about Common Good, so ably um, managed and led by Patricia, is that it's, it's a reunion of, of dear friends, certainly over my lifetime. So hello to you, to everybody on this call. Please stay, stay, stay safe. Uh, that's another one of the challenges we are all facing. So uh, let's get right to it. Uh, I want to introduce Adam, uh, who... Uh, was elected to Congress in 2000 
for the first time. I was running for uh, a, election to my former seat, which I had given up. And we were two of four uh, Democrats to beat Republicans in that year. We didn't take the House back. But Adam was in his first month on 9-11, as I recall this. Uh, and I was in a senior role uh, as a co-chair of a, a subcommittee on terrorism and also a member of the National Commission on Terrorism, which had predicted a major attack on, on U.S. soil. And we saw what we saw on 9-11. Why I'm mentioning 9-11 is that on that same day, the Capitol had closed uh, the fourth airplane, which was intended to hit the dome of the Capitol, fortunately left late and was then taken down uh, bravely on a, on a field in, in Pennsylvania. But had that happened, our government could have fallen on 9-11. At any rate, at, at the end of the day, the members of Congress there all stood on the steps of the Capitol, held hands. Nobody was paying attention to who was a Republican and who was a Democrat. And we sang, God bless America because America was under attack. We then formed a nonpartisan commission, the 9-11 Commission, uh, a co-chair of which was Lee Hamilton, my predecessor at the Wilson Center, which made important recommendations, most of which uh, have been adopted. And we have not had another major attack on US soil, um, certainly not from outside the US until 1-6 uh, of last year. And why this is so important is certainly in my mind, uh, it, it, had, it was more dire, I never thought I'd see this, uh, than the attack on 9-11. America didn't come together. America is more uh, uh, di divided than ever. And uh, Liz Cheney, who is uh, uh, the ranking Republican on, on this uh, committee uh, that Adam serves on, has said, uh, I'm quoting from last Sunday, the Republican Party can either be loyal to Donald Trump or we can be loyal to the Constitution, but we cannot be both. This is a Liz Cheney quote. I don't mean it to be partisan, but there are huge issues at stake. So turning to Adam, who uh, has become chair of the Intelligence Committee, a huge player and I think manager of, of the first impeachment, and now is a member of the 1-6 committee. I don't think anything happens in this area without Adam being part of it. He found time in his, in his, uh, in his spare time to write a book that's a number one uh, New York Times bestseller, The Vital Inside Account of American Democracy in Its Darkest Hour, I'd say darkest hours, from the rise of autocracy unleashed by Trump in the January 6th insurrection and a warning that those forces remain as potent as ever. At any rate, it's called Midnight on Washington, in Washington. And I, if we have 10 seconds, I'm sure Adam will tell you more about it. But let's start this way. Um, Madeline Dean, who hasn't been introduced either, was uh, elected to the House in 2018. So she is in her second term uh, from Pennsylvania's fourth. Uh, she, as Patricia said, uh, was the leader of the second impeachment uh, uh, investigation of President Trump. And she's a lawyer by training and uh, actually taught legal ethics. So she's a real lawyer in contrast, at least to me, and uh, an enormous voice in Congress who doesn't serve on this committee. So we have uh, two people who can give us a lot of information. Let's start now. On 1-6, uh, 2000, uh, uh, what was last year? 2021, uh, Adam first and then Madeline, uh, where were you? How much danger were you in over what period of time and how much danger were your staffs in uh, during this event? 
Well, Jane, uh, thank you uh, for the introduction. Uh, thank you for moderating the discussion today. Uh, Patricia, really appreciate everything that you do and the common good and bringing us all together. Um, about six months before the election, I suggested to the speaker that we form a small group of members to try to anticipate everything that might go wrong on election day uh, or the aftermath. Uh, what if the electoral college were tied? What if a state sent more than one slate of electors? What if the vice president didn't do his job? Uh, and so um, a group of us would meet uh, periodically in the weeks and months leading up to the election and in the aftermath to try to uh, essentially game out all the things that might go wrong. Uh, we came up with about a thousand possibilities. Of course, we didn't anticipate the one that actually happened, which was a violent attack on the Capitol. But as a result, uh, four of us were asked to manage the opposition on the floor that day. And so I was uh, speaking, I was uh, rebutting Republican arguments against the certification of the electors. I really wasn't paying attention to what was going on outside the building. Uh, I started noticing members were looking at their phones uh, and I looked up uh, from my notes uh, and uh, noticed the speaker was no longer in her chair which I thought was odd because I knew from our preparation, she planned to preside for the entire joint session. Uh, and almost immediately thereafter, two Capitol Police rushed onto the floor, grabbed Steny Hoyer and whisked him off the floor so quickly. I remember thinking to myself, I'd never seen Steny move that fast. Uh, and then, uh, then we, we had uh, in, in you know, close proximity announcements by the Capitol Police one after another each of increasing severity about rioters in the building, the need to get out our gas masks, the need to get down on the ground uh, potentially, uh, and ultimately the need to get out. Um, I lingered on the house floor. Um, there was kind of a scrum to get out the doors at this point. Uh, I felt uh, relatively calm uh, and uh, didn't want to frankly be uh, shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of my colleagues uh, who were unwilling to wear masks at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, and so I waited and a couple of the Republicans came up to me um, and said, uh, you can't let them see you. Um, one of them said, I know these people, I can talk to these people, I can talk my way through these people, you're in a wholly different category. Uh, and at first I was touched by their evident concern for my safety. Um, but I have to say that feeling quickly gave way to another um, when I realized that, you know, but for all of the false claims about the election, none of us would need to worry about our security. Uh, and Jane, I remember when we did finally evacuate uh, and I was walking through those tunnels just after Ashley Babbitt was shot. Um, I remember thinking to myself how different 9-11 had been uh, and how that terrible tragedy brought our country together. But that was an attack from without. This was an attack from within, from our own fellow citizens. And I knew it would not have the same unifying effect. But I have to say, I never imagined that things would grow worse, not better after the 6th. Um, that uh, even seeing the damage that those lies wrought, um, that, uh, that the, the, one of America's great political parties would continue to wet itself to that lie um, and, and use it to bring about a whole new generation of Jim Crow laws around the country uh, and efforts to attack independent elections officials. So I remain more concerned, uh, Jane, than ever about the fate of our democracy. Thank you, Adam. Um, Madeline, uh, where were you 
uh, how were you? Uh, and I didn't, Adam didn't ask, didn't answer my, my part of my question about staff. Was your staff also in danger? Um, okay. I'm rushing through this because Adam, I want to get to the one six committee and, and you can mention that the answer to that part if, you know, during that, uh, what was it like for you? Well, there's so many parallels that I feel to Adam and yet so many contrasts. Number one, I was in uh, two or three days into my second term. Uh, and I was preparing uh, and all my staff were out. I, I knew there could be some disturbance in the city. I said, everybody stay home, telework. Uh, we had gotten pretty good at that. Uh, and so I didn't want staff there for me worrying about them or them worrying about me. Uh, and so I was preparing for the arguments for the Pennsylvania challenge that was to come very late in the night as we expected. Uh, and what I asked was, I wanna observe what's going on on the floor. So I went in and was able to go up into the gallery. So I was in a physically different position from Adam who was down managing the floor. I was observing up in the gallery. I was shoulder to shoulder Adam standing next to Dean Phillips. We call ourselves the Dean Caucus. And so I observed a little while and then wanted to go back uh, to my office to finish my remarks and my argument for the floor. Uh, and so what I did um, was I headed back and I was stopped by a very large Capitol Police officer who said, there has been a bomb threat in this direction, go back to wherever you were. And so I went back up into the Capitol, to the gallery, to where I had stood. And I remember looking out a darkened office to the other side of the Capitol, I guess the Western side, not the Eastern wall, uh, and saw some protesters ad hoc, uh, didn't look treacherous to me, went back into the gallery, and then began to hear that series. Uh, I, I remember mouthing the word shame for the arguments that we heard, but then we heard this strange series of announcements and I didn't know who it was. And ultimately it was Capitol Police officer. First they said, please sit down, which we thought was strange. We don't have assigned seats. There should be no reason to sit. Then it was, please prepare to kneel or lie down. Uh, and then with that, uh, they said, please get your gas masks out from under the seat. I was two years in, I had no idea there were gas masks under our seats. And so Adam, I read one of your articles and I fumbled with it to try to find it, to open it, it's layers, it's, it's quite concealed. Uh, and I went down to the gallery wall to put myself in a shield behind that wall, thinking if somebody somehow gets into this spot, I'll have a wall beside me. I remember calling Lucille, Lucille Royal Allard, to come down, come down. Uh, and with that, we then got the, uh, the notice, uh, please ready your gas masks. They have infiltrated uh, the rotunda, statuary hall, uh, tear gas has been deployed and await further instruction. With that, Adam, I began to hear the pounding on the chamber doors. That was one of the most chilling uh, moments for me, that, that sound, uh, reverberates in my mind. And I remember looking over and seeing Veronica Escobar in a beautiful white blazer standing, trying to get her gas mask open. And I'm screaming to her, get down. Because up in the gallery, it was almost as though we were sitting ducks. Uh, but the, if anybody would come in with some sort of a weapon, uh, they could have shot us. Uh, and so it was terrifying. Uh, in my own mind, I thought, Number one, we didn't have any idea the number, the gravity of what was going on outside, but I called family, terrified them, I'm certain, uh, but, but thought surely if, if there's any place on this planet that is safe, it's here. But of course, with the piercing of the glass, 
uh, and um, the mayhem that took place, we were ultimately told to put those gas masks on and escort it out, uh, ultimately to the large safe room where we all waited. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, Adam, please describe for us uh, in as brief a form as you can, only because I do want to get to questions and I want to get to our reporter too, um, the events after that leading up to the formation of the 1-6 uh, committee and where things stand now. It's certainly been in the press that you're planning for public hearings, uh, that there may be potential recommendations for uh, criminal prosecutions uh, to the Justice Department. Uh, there is litigation against individual members of the House, against your committee. There are challenges to uh, 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 based on executive privilege for, for your, against your subpoenas. I mean, in, in a very short form, <laughs> if you could, could you tell us, bring us up to date on, on, on where this is and where it's going? Uh, sure. One quick note on staff. Um, I had asked one of my staff to be present on the 6th uh, since I was going to be one of the floor managers in case I needed uh, someone to help me on the House floor. He remained back in my office uh, and he was alone uh, when that insurrection began. And he left the office to go next door uh, to, to seek, uh, if not uh, uh, safety next door, at least the comfort of being uh, in jeopardy with others. And uh, he was able after a few hours to, to leave somehow, leave the complex. I'm glad that he was able to leave. Um, but uh, among the most harrowing images I think of that day uh, is the video footage of uh, Speaker Pelosi's staff barricading themselves in one of her conference rooms and seeing the insurrectionists pounding and pounding, breaking through the outer door, but thankfully not through the inner door. Uh, so it was an awfully harrowing day for right. everyone on the, on the premises that day. Uh, yeah. In terms of the, the aftermath, you know, very quickly, uh, and, and some of this will be known, of course, to, to many of you, but we made an effort, uh, you know, good faith effort, bipartisan effort to form a commission like the 9-11 Commission that had the support of, of the chair of the Homeland Security Committee, Benny Thompson, as well as the ranking member, Katko. Um, that was rejected uh, by McCarthy and ultimately by McConnell. McConnell went so far as to ask favors of his colleagues in the Republican uh, 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 conference in the Senate to, to prevent that. Uh, and they did. They stopped it. Uh, we moved forward. The speaker moved forward with the select committee. Now, of course, you have McCarthy complaining about the select committee um, and that it's not a commission uh, and its members are not equally divided. Um, but nonetheless, um, and this is, I think, one of the real uh, silver linings of this otherwise pretty dark period, the nine members of that committee, including two very conservative Republicans, are working in a completely nonpartisan way. Um, we're working in the way, frankly, um, you would love to see all congressional committees work. Uh, and I remember walking out of our first hearing with those Capitol Police officers uh, and, and being so moved by their powerful testimony, but also thinking to myself that there wasn't one moment where members were fighting with each other or calling attention to each other. It was about the witnesses, not the members, and how rare a phenomenon that is in Congress these days. Uh, since that time, we have uh, interviewed more than 300 witnesses, gathered more than uh, 30,000 documents. Most people are cooperating. Uh, some very high profile people are refusing. Uh, nonetheless, we are uh, working diligently to, uh, to get to the bottom of uh, everyone's involvement. 
uh, in uh, the events leading up to January 6th, that day and the aftermath. And we've learned a lot. Um, there were multiple lines of effort to overturn the election. Uh, and this is, I think, you know, one of the key early takeaways, which is it's not all about the sixth. Uh, there were efforts before the election to undermine the election. There are efforts during the election and the aftermath to overturn the results uh, and to rob people of their franchise. Uh, and uh, in those efforts, you had um, uh, calls between the former president and the secretary of state in Georgia, um, urging that secretary to find 11,780 votes that don't exist. Uh, you had efforts to um, use the Justice Department, to abuse the Justice Department, not in the interest of justice, but rather uh, to use it as a, as a fulcrum to uh, get states to delay the certification of electors or send alternate slates. Uh, and, and so we made a lot of progress. Um, the former president and his acolytes are using the courts, much as they did over the last four years, to try to delay uh, any accountability. So are, are you going to hold public hearings in, in any near time frame? And do you think you can, uh, 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 that this litigation will conclude in some form, maybe, maybe at the Supreme Court in some near time frame, so you can get to a point where you could issue recommendations based on uh, what your findings are? Uh, you know, it's my expectation that we'll begin public hearings uh, soon, within the next few weeks. Uh, mm -hmm. And we hope to tell the story in a, in a kind of a cohesive narrative uh, that begins well before January 6th and carries through uh, demonstrating those multiple lines of effort to overturn the election. There's still a lot that we have yet to learn uh, and some key witnesses that we haven't brought in and some we haven't even uh, asked yet uh, because we're doing multiple interviews a day, sometimes multiple depositions a day. Uh, so we are moving with all due speed. Um, we will finish the investigation this year one way or another. Um, it is my hope that the courts, uh, and I think there's reason to be hopeful, will recognize that what the, the Trump uh, uh, you know, team is doing is simply trying to delay to deny justice, uh, to deny information to the American people. Um, we will find out soon enough, though, whether the Supreme Court is a conservative court uh, or it has become really a partisan court. Because in the dispute, for example, over the documents held by the National Archives, you have both branches of government, the executive branch and the legislative branch in agreement, the documents should be provided. Uh, it would be truly, I think, extraordinary uh, for the Supreme Court to, uh, in that kind of a political dispute, uh, to overrule essentially both other branches of government when they're in agreement. Uh, and so um, I hope that they simply refuse to grant cert uh, for a question that they shouldn't need to hear uh, that was decided by the Court of Appeals. Um, but regardless, we are using multiple lines of effort to get uh, as much information as we can. Uh, and I think we're making a lot of progress. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I would ask you the ramifications to our democracy if, if uh, your committee fails to, to uh, get to a conclusion uh, by the end of this year before the election. What, what would you say about that? Well, you know, to me, it's the timetable is not really a political one. Uh, I feel a sense of urgency. I know Madeline does as well, having lived through January 6th, that we do everything as expeditiously as possible to protect both the capital, uh, but more importantly, our democracy at large. Um, right. We are seeing threats of violence 
not merely against members of Congress, but against local school board members and city right. council members, local elections officials are literally being run out of town with death threats. Uh, this is the most prevalent threat to our democracy, certainly in my lifetime, maybe in anyone's lifetime. Uh, and so we want to get our work done quickly. Uh, we want to bring the American people along with us in those public hearings, issue our report and legislate uh, as a result uh, in ways that will protect the country. We are looking at, among other things, way to reform the Electoral Count Act. We were lucky that election wasn't close. Um, you know, God forbid the next election is close. Mm -hmm. uh, and it comes down to an interpretation of the Electoral Count Act. Um, but, uh, but also, um, God forbid that uh, um, in 2024, one of the states arrogates to themselves the right to overturn the results of the popular will of their people. Um, you can imagine the kind of constitutional yeah. crisis we would be in. Well, I noticed that Mitch McConnell, as reported, said today that he might be open to some changes to the Electoral Count Act, that whatever he said has been dismissed by, by uh, uh, Majority Leader Schumer, but maybe this will get some legs and something will happen. But meanwhile, let me turn to Madeline, uh, because um, today, also today, why wouldn't everything happen today? Uh, the Attorney General Merrick Garland had a really powerful press conference uh, thanking his huge staff and detailing uh, all of the actions that the Justice Department is taking uh, to prosecute uh, those who were involved in, in, uh, in acts of violence on 9-11, not just those who were physically in the Capitol, but those who had some role in perpetrating the violence. And he made clear that they're going to continue this until they get to the end and that um, you know, you start small and go big once you get the facts from sort of the low-lying fruit. But you're a, a consummate lawyer. And could you tell us uh, what the role of the Justice Department is in this? And does it have or should it have total independence uh, from the, the White House and the president? And how does that, what, what, how does that track uh, somehow uh, complement or fit with whatever action the Congress is taking on this? Well, uh, you may overstate my uh, qualifications, Congresswoman uh, Jane, uh, but uh, what I do see in Merrick Garland, and of course in this administration, is a return to what we believe and know was supposed to be an attorney general and a Department of Justice as an independent branch uh, of our government. Uh, never before had we seen uh, the tainting of the Department of Justice under the Trump administration, using the department for its own purposes, self-serving purposes, self-dealing purposes, protection as though it were its own um, law, law department. Uh, you know, when I came to Congress, I, I might have begged Jerry Nadler to allow me to serve on the Judiciary Committee. Uh, of course, that was uh, 2018, halfway through the Trump administration. Uh, certainly cognizant of the harm uh, that that president was doing in his corrupt manners, uh, but having no idea where we would go and working alongside somebody like uh, Chairman Schiff, who did such work during um, uh, his chairmanship uh, first under uh, the committee, but then, of course, as impeachment manager number one, and now with this. What I see is contrast, powerful, important contrast. Today, Merrick Garland spoke forcefully uh, and spoke about violence uh, and spoke uh, 
demonstrably about the attempted crushing, the actual crushing of police officers in this medieval hours long battle. I think it was a showing that he gets it, that his department gets it, and they have an important role to play independent of any administration, previous, current, or future, uh, to, for the protection of our laws, uh, to make sure we continue our constitutional order. Uh, so I was very pleased with the showing by Merrick Garland. I'm a, a, a child of Watergate, uh, and so I remember the crushing blow that was Watergate and how I urgently hoped that our country would put back in place some guardrails, uh, remind us of the norms and that which should happen like an independent uh, Department of Justice. I also want to note uh, that they, as he has said, they are committed uh, to making sure that they will track down every person who is responsible. No false use of First Amendment claims, those kinds of things. So I was very pleased with uh, the Attorney General. I'm also very pleased to the fact that they are prosecuting states that are trying uh, to violate our voting rights. These, we have suffered multiple attacks, whether it's erosion through the Supreme Court, uh, states uh, that are held by uh, majorities that would like to suppress our right to vote, uh, and then at the local level, uh, as Adam points out, uh, school boards and others uh, trying to interfere uh, with um, the, really the rule of law. So I was pleased with Merrick Garland's um, statements today. Yeah, well, he documented and, you know, it was it was almost tearful, uh, the threats and intimidation against a variety of people, including a federal judge who whose home address was tracked down and whose son was killed as he opened the door to some yeah. person and whose husband was wounded uh, among, among a list of others and obviously among the, the, the law enforcement officers trying to protect the Capitol. Uh, one last question for you and I wanna to turn to our reporter and that is you're not a member of the 1-6 uh, committee. Uh, what, how do you see your role in the house right now in terms of making sure this doesn't happen again? I feel very fortunate uh, with those who are on the committee. And I know to a person, they know that any one of us, uh, members of our caucus in particular, are here to help. Uh, what I also have such confidence in uh, is the fact that not only are the committee members, the chairs, the vice chairs, uh, Adam, Jamie Raskin, you know, the two managers who serve, uh, uh, Adam Kinzinger, you know, that, that bipartisan, honest spirit that has been brought to this committee. The staff behind them is extraordinary. I have worked with them, many of them, uh, whether through judiciary or through impeachment number two. So uh, as a member of the Judiciary Committee, as a member of um, the Democratic House, as a member of the House, I feel like my role is to support them in everything they are doing. Any burden I can lift from them, uh, any truth telling that I can provide, that's my job. Uh, and I do ask Adam, you know me, uh, I do ask you to call upon us, uh, but we have a caucus uh, fully supportive of their work and fully confident in how they are moving forward meticulously. I also want to lift up the more than 300 patriots who have come forward, citizens who have come forward at every level, uh, levels that we don't yet know, uh, to provide the details of who was a part of this. This was not a single day's horrific event. This was uh, born over months and years, sadly born out of lies, power grown out of lies. 
but it was um, it was meticulous, if not chaotically uh, distributed. This was a meticulous attempt uh, to retain power and to interrupt uh, the peaceful transfer of power, the hallmark of our democracy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, let's turn to Jasmine Aloa, who's patiently been sitting here, who's a member of the press and writes for the Boston Globe and wrote a powerful article after this event. Uh, she was in the press gallery and it would be very interesting to know uh, your recollections of the day and your thoughts about uh, how the press has been able to function since this, intimidations or not, and uh, what the role of the press is going forward uh, in making certain that, that people understand, hopefully accurately, uh, facts first, uh, what happened on that day and, and what actions uh, both the executive branch through Merrick Garland, the attorney general and others, and, and the Congress are taking. Sure, so I, I guess I'll start with my experiences from that day. Um, I was at the, I was in the press gallery. I had spent most of the morning interviewing Trump supporters at the Stop the Steal rally. So I already knew that there was the, the emotions were very palpable. The anger was very palpable. I, I was speaking to voters who had come in from Georgia on buses, um, you know, had arrived at six in the morning, had been driving all night. Uh, they were amped up. They were, you know, I spoke to a woman who was crying at the scene saying like this election was stolen and I can't believe, um, you know, I, I can't believe that this happened. Um, so, you know, talking about Trump as a, as a, a savior-like uh, figure. So I was already hearing these things and, and I was, so I had, and so I had spent most of the morning doing that and walked all the way down Pennsylvania Avenue, down the same street that so many protesters would later walk down and rioters would, would, would walk down um, to, to the Capitol. And I was deeply immersed, writing everything down, just completely focused on trying to file for, for the paper when my editor calls and she says, be, you know, be careful. I think if you, if you can get out of there early, get out of there early because I'm, you know, it, it looks like it, you know, there's a lot of reports of violence and it could get dangerous. And I thought to myself, I'm on the third floor of the Capitol. It, uh, you know, it, it's so hard to get into this building with, with even with the right credentials. Like I just didn't think that if, even if they breach it, they'd get all the way to the third floor. I, I didn't think they would breach it. Uh, within, you know, I, I hung up, I hung up, and within minutes, um, I believe it's when the 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 radio starts crackling and they start telling warning everybody to stay away from the windows and doors that you can still move move through the building but stay away from the windows and doors and you can i could see from 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 the window from the open window you could cut you already saw like a stream it was like a river of people just flowing in and one of the senate press gallery employees the staff staffers had said you know, she comes over to us and there's only a few of us there because it's in the middle of a pandemic. There's, there's a handful of reporters there, it's quiet. It, and, and this is a room that's usually buzzing with people and loud and people are talking. And, and it, so it was just already eerie to be in there in, in, such, a, in, in such a desolate place. Um, and they said, you know, we have a plan if the riot, if the protesters, they're still calling them protesters, if the protesters breach the building, uh, we're going to lock ourselves inside, so we're going to give you an option. Like you can go out or you can stay in, but you 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 can't be coming in and out. We're going to lock ourselves in, and we all kind of again kind of looked at each other like in disbelief, like that's not going to happen. <laughs> Within minutes, a reporter walks in and says, "Mike Pence," you know, he shouts into the room, "Mike Pence has been evacuated. 
And the plan that was not supposed to, that, that was only a plan just in case became the real plan. And I just grabbed a, a pencil and a notebook and I just left. Um, and I walked down the stairs and I, and I, I came across the, the, the protesters, the, the rioters immediately. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, uh, it, it was surreal and it was shocking. And it was, <laughs> I, it was, it was kind of hard because they looked like they were going to a concert. <laughs> they, it would have been really funny if it hadn't been so serious. And my, and so I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, they don't look uh, like Madeline said, treacherous, but, but I, but my mind immediately goes to El Paso. I had covered the aftermath of the El Paso shooting in which a self-proclaimed white supremacist radicalized online had gone into a Walmart on this quest to, in his words, kill Mexicans. And so, and that's my hometown. I went to high school five minutes from there. So it was a crime that was uh, very difficult to cover on, on many levels. And I had spent so many hours looking at the shooter, <laughs> of, of the photo of the shooter. And I thought, okay, well, maybe this one doesn't have a gun, but the next one might. And I had covered the protests. I had covered other riots. I'd been covering this extremist violence for a while. As a reporter for the LA Times, I had been at some of the battles, the, the battle, the so-called Battle of Berkeley, where white supremacists were clashing with with anti-white supremacists um, on, on, on the campus. So I knew how violent things could quickly get. And so I think I was filming for, for the paper, but at the same time, I was trying to do my job. But at the same time, I was trying to stay safe. So I, I quickly went up the stairs and I was just trying to get better shots. And then I, I, as soon as I saw that there were way more coming than I expected, I just ran down, I rushed down the hall. And I think that that's when I started to hear the, the, the bangs as well, the bangs on the doors of, of the Capitol. And I looked down over this balcony that's, that, that separates the House and the Senate chambers. And you can see this just mass of people just crowding against the door and the, they, they start to shatter the glass. And it, and it was just uh, surreal. <laughs> so yeah. the, the, and from then on, I mean, <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to cut you off, you know, uh, kudos for your bravery. Uh, but just if you could answer briefly, and because we need to get to questions, and I have somebody in the audience I want to recognize first. Um, what is the role of a free press going forward to cover all this? I think the role of, of, of the press should be to continue to connect the dots for people that, again, that this was not a one-off uh, event, that this, was, that this has been something that has been building and building in this country, especially for the, in the last four years, um, and, and to be able to yeah, to, to, to be able to, con to continue to, to emphasize that, um, because I don't think a lot of people see the connection between El Paso and Charlottesville and, and these really violent scuffles that were happening in California, in Sacramento, in, in Berkeley. Um, but these were all the same groups organizing online uh, and, and, spreading, and spreading disinformation, spreading hate, spreading vitriol and spreading more importantly, fear of the other. And I think that that's so important um, to keep analyzing and to keep studying because there's been early preliminary studies now showing that a lot of the people who were there were motivated by that fear of demographic change that is happening in the country. Well, thank you. I would just observe that on 9-11, uh, 2001, uh, I think most of us could not have anticipated this moment. Uh, and it's interesting that Adam told us a story of that he was, he was pre, 
one six predicting things and never predicted the moment. And you're saying the moment is ongoing and it's crucial that the press keep reporting it. And yet I, you know, stay safe, please, and keep reporting it. Uh, now then, uh, among the uh, uh, participants in this uh, very interesting conversation is former Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, who's very involved with the common good, very involved with me, and Jay, I want to salute you for something you did while you were still in office, which was to declare voting machines critical infrastructure. And I think that had a lot to do with helping, helping states have the funds to keep those voting machines safe in the 2020 elections. And I don't think there are any serious reports that the, that the functioning of those machines was compromised. So over to you for a brief question. Sorry, it has to be brief, but there are so many people who want to ask. Uh, questions. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Patricia. And good evening, Adam and Madeline. <clears throat> Welcome. Uh, first, I came up here to my den because I wanted Adam to see he and I have the exact same taste in furniture, um, which I've noticed <laughs> in various TV appearances. I even have uh, Master of the Senate over there on my bookshelf. Anyway, um, I, I have a question for both Adam and Madeline. Maybe you know the answer. Um, Section 2383 of Title 18 uh, punishes as a felony rebellion, rebellion or insurrection. Uh, whoever incites, uh, sets on foot, assists, or engages in any rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the United States or gives aid or comfort thereto uh, is guilty of a felony. Um, to me, uh, what happened on January 6th is the very definition of an insurrection. Uh, yet it would appear that what the Department of Justice is charging in these cases is either obstructing congressional proceedings or a violence directed against law enforcement at the Capitol or the misdemeanor of uh, trespass on the Capitol grounds. And I noticed in the speech today by the Attorney General, I don't think he used the word insurrection once. So I just wonder whether you two understand what DOJ's thinking is on that. Um, well, I'm happy to take a stab at it first. Uh, and great to see you, Jay. Uh, thank you for your uh, tremendous work and uh, glad, to, glad to see uh, another rule top uh, desk fan uh, among us. Um, I noticed the, the exact same thing you did uh, in watching the Attorney General uh, speak today. Um, uh, and I was curious as to whether he would use that word uh, and found it notable as you did that he didn't. Uh, I do think that word very much applies to what's going on here. Uh, so what is the department's thinking? Um, I would say a couple things. Uh, I would imagine part of it in terms of the prosecutions we've seen so far, and I, I spent almost six years with that department, is the decision by prosecutors to prove what's easiest to secure a conviction on. Right. Uh, and they may have concluded that uh, you know, obstructing congressional proceedings uh, was you know, the elements of that crime were easier to prove than the elements of insurrection, or maybe that the, the proving insurrection was so politically loaded that it may uh, cause jury nullification with certain juries. But uh, I suspect that you know, at the level of the sort of foot soldiers who attacked the building that day, that might be the calculation um, the big question is, uh, what is the department doing with respect to those who may have organized January 6th? Uh, and with respect to that, uh, the Attorney General made some comments 
uh, and said that uh, they would hold accountable anybody who was criminally responsible, whether they were on the ground uh, at the Capitol that day or not. I think that's encouraging. But what was left unsaid, uh, which does have me concerned, uh, is whether the Justice Department will also pursue with the same vigor, not just those who were present on January 6th or who had responsibility uh, for organizing January 6th, but other efforts to overturn the election prior to January 6th or maybe after January 6th. The most notable to me, uh, frankly, was the former president on the phone with the Secretary of Georgia, um, Secretary of State of Georgia, trying to get uh, Brad Raffensperger to essentially stuff the ballot box with over 11,000 votes. Um, I don't think you can ignore that, nor do I think that that can be relegated to the Fulton County DA to do. Uh, I can tell you, uh, in my experience in the Justice Department, if there were a case involving potential defrauding of voters in a presidential election, of uh, that kind of significance, there's no way we would defer to a local DA's office. Um, now, it may be, it was Merrick Garland, you know, showing the height of discretion, uh, not wanting to, to say too much. Um, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I am concerned um, that uh, from my vantage point, uh, which is no different than that of a member of, of the public, I don't see an effort to investigate some of those other potential criminal acts. Uh, and I, I worry that uh, after four years of a department taking the position that you can't prosecute a sitting president, uh, that we could now uh, prudentially, uh, the department take the position, well, as a practical matter, you also can't prosecute a former president uh, because that would make the president above the law. And that is something both dangerous and I think uh, anathema to what the founders would have, would have expected. Um, a very uh, brief shot at that uh, and defer to Adam on that. But I wanted to point out first, uh, Mr. Secretary Jay, thank you for the role that you have played uh, over the course of the years that I have been sitting in, in Congress, which is just brief, only three years. But you have come to our caucus advised us uh, with your wisdom and your experience. And so I thank you for that. Uh, when you asked this question, I thought uh, you should know that as we went to the safe room, I remember uh, using my phone uh, as I was trying to charge it in the middle of the room and sharing the charger with others uh, to look up the word insurrection, just the layman's version of the word insurrection, because it was hard to believe that I was actually in one. But of course, uh, the layman's version of it, not the statutory one, uh, fit exactly what was going on. I hope perhaps, and I am not a lawyer up to this prediction, but I hope perhaps what's going on is that Merrick Garland is using discretion, the department is using discretion as the 1-6 committee representativeship and others do their work. So that as we move up the ladder of culpability, responsibility, uh, complicitness, uh, that maybe then we will actually see uh, the use of the statutory uh, insurrection uh, that you pointed out. That's just my uh, very small thought. I would just add to that, that I listened to the press conference and I don't think he foreclosed anything. He did make his point about we, we get the low hanging, hanging fruit first, we get the information and then we build the bigger cases. And we're not just talking about people who were uh, uh, in the Capitol on, on one six, but uh, let's wait and see. It's a good question, Jay. And again, thank you from your friend, Jane, uh, for all you do. Uh, over to you, Patricia, we made it. We covered everybody. And now it's your turn to uh, pick the best questions. 
Okay, well, that was a great question, uh, Jay. Thank you so much for that. And thank you uh, to our, our incredible um, panel here. But I think I'd like to go next to um, Bernard Schwartz, if you're ready. Hello. On our honorary advisory board and a great supporter of the, of the common good. Can you hear me good? Well, yes. yes. I don't have a question. I have a statement that I think is very, very important. Uh, for Jane and Madeline, uh, for you, Patricia, and most of all, for Adam Schiff, whom I'm proud calls me his friend. What you are doing is uh, the most significant thing that's going to be done in the Capitol this year. You must carry on this fight. Know that the American people are with you. They spoke out in the last election. They will speak out in supporting what you do and bringing these people to accountability. And I don't mean just the people who stormed the Capitol. I'm talking about the leadership. I'm talking about Trump. I'm talking about Bannon. I'm talking about those who knew what was happening and allowed it to happen. Be encouraged. We are on your side. Go and do your job. And I'm proud to be on it with you. Thank you. So Thank proud you. of it, too. Thank, Thank you. I'm very proud to call you friend. Indeed. Um, Jerry Goldfeder, great uh, election expert. Thank you, Patricia. Good to be here with all of you. Hello, Jay. Thank you, Congresswoman Dean and Congresswoman Harmon. Adam, it's good to see you. My question relates to members of Congress who may have provided aid and comfort to the insurrectionists. The public doesn't have proof of that. You, I hope the committee is looking at that. You could refer it to the Department of Justice if you find sufficient proof. But if you do find that this occurred um, with sufficient evidence, what will the House of Representatives do to those members who did provide aid and comfort? Jerry, good to see you. You know, first of all, on the on the point of referral, criminal referral, you know, I think it's very important to make clear to people that while we do have the power to refer matters to the Justice Department and in, in some uh, potential uh, criminal cases like criminal contempt of Congress or perjury before Congress, it's vital that we do. Um, it is certainly not necessary uh, in any way for the Justice Department to wait for a criminal referral from Congress. Uh, which really, uh, you know, apart from the rare area of a criminal contempt of Congress, has very little weight with the Justice Department. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I would fully hope and expect, for example, on the question that Jay asked, uh, and that, that many Americans are asking, and that is, um, is it just going to be the foot soldiers who are held accountable, or will others be held accountable? Um, I would hope the Justice Department is not waiting for Congress to do its work. And in my experience, uh, and I, this was my experience with the Mueller investigation, it's been my experience when I've been asked to work on ethics investigations, the department does not defer to Congress. Uh, it, uh, in fact, it asks Congress usually to defer to it and sometimes withhold doing its own work until the Justice Department can do its. Um, so uh, in the event that we discover members were implicated in some way, um, uh, you know, we certainly will feel free to refer that to the Justice Department. They should be doing their own work, however. 
Um, but also we have our own remedies. Uh, those remedies include everything from censure uh, to a potential expulsion. Uh, so Congress has some uh, its own tools, um, but uh, the most uh, important, the most powerful are held by the Department of Justice uh, and, and those things should not await uh, Congress's work. Well, we had a lot of a lot of questions regarding uh, Garland and the subpoena power for uh, for your committee, especially with respect to members of Congress. I think it's something that uh, people are very interested. I have a question. Just to, if I could ask you, um, uh, both you, Adam and Madeline, where, where do you want? Where do you see is the most important place that this goes to? I mean, it's supposed to be uh, one of the underlying issues is. Was the president involved in the planning? But wh where do you, where, what is the most important thing that you think is going to come out of this in terms of evidence, um, and and not necessarily how that relates to helping our democracy, but evidence and criminal or bad behavior on the part of the president or others. What I, I want to go is, ahead and, and I'll jump in. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a, a shot at it. Uh, and, and thank you, Patricia, for your leadership here uh, and for the common good and for bringing this panel together. Um, what I hope is uh, that when I get worried about the confusion and the complicated web of what has happened uh, that culminated in January 6th and obviously has not ended with January the 6th, I really realize that it boils down to something quite simple. And it is the difference between truth and lies. And so what I hope for from the January 6th uh, committee and from the work of the impeachment one and impeachment two uh, and all the work surrounding that by the intelligence committee, judiciary committee and others is that the truth will be brought to light. Uh, the corruption that took place that culminated in and was metastasized through lies at the highest level of our government and carried out by other members too, uh, resulted in an attempted insurrection. And so I really think in the end, it comes down to revealing the truth, exposing the lies. Uh, and what I learned from this experience, uh, here I am more than 60 years of age, I never appreciated how fragile our democracy was. I never had any notion. I knew it was something, an experiment, this grand noble experiment, but I think I thought it was a little more fixed than it is. Uh, just as William Brennan said, uh, the Constitution will endure if we have the courage to defend it, the vision to interpret it, and the fidelity to live by it. So as Mr. Schwartz said, uh, to echo what he said, we have to pursue the truth. We have to have fidelity to the Constitution to defend it, uh, and not fidelity to a single person or to a set of lies in order to gain power or retain power. Uh, so I'm looking for the truth. I hope the American people want the truth. I am certain uh, that when the public hearings begin, I hope in prime time uh, that many people will tune in, understand who was a part of it. Uh, the president certainly, you know, the classic question in the Nixon era, what did the president know and when did he know it? Uh, that those questions will be answered but also who were the foot soldiers putting this together? Where was the money behind this coordination? And how were American citizens 
um, so infected with the virus of lies that took place over months and years but at the highest level of our government and the lowest level uh, and in, in different sources like media uh, uh, that falsely proclaimed these lies and continues to do that. I hope that the American public will see the truth. We won't get everybody to recognize it, but in the end, we'll be stronger and better for it and not at risk for it happening. Again, that's our greatest risk right now, that it could happen again. Well, it sounds like you, your your work is already starting to turn around some of those uh, misbeliefs. Adam, what, what would you add to that? Yeah, I, I think Madeline is absolutely right. Uh, and the only thing I would add to uh, her eloquent uh, um, statement about it is uh, we're not a prosecutorial body in Congress. Uh, it's not our job to uh, assemble a criminal case against someone. Uh, and I think that, uh, as Merrick Garland said today, um, at the Justice Department, their job is not to decide what they want the end result to be and work backward, but rather to follow the facts to their logical conclusion. Um, our highest, highest purpose in Congress uh, has to be the protection of our constitution and our democracy. And that involves exposing all the truth of what happened that day. Uh, and it involves, uh, I think, sounding the alarm about just how vulnerable our democracy is. Uh, I still don't think most Americans have any idea how close we are to losing our democracy. Uh, we all grew up in a generation uh, that, that experienced since World War II, greater freedoms of the press, of association, um, to assemble uh, in every way. Um, and we thought somehow it was inexorable and we have learned there's nothing immutable about that. It's not a law of nature. Uh, in some respects, it, it uh, contravenes nature to govern ourselves without the need for a despot. Um, but um, but if we, we fight for this legacy, we can keep it. Uh, and, uh, and so that's what I'm hoping will come out of this, uh, a, a renewal of our commitment to our democracy an understanding of the threat uh, and, and some very specific ways to meet that threat. Well, I, I can't tell you how important this conversation is. We have at least uh, eight or nine more uh, questions. I just, to be respectful of your time, um, Adam, I know you were planning on leaving even earlier than now, but I wanna make sure I get an opportunity to thank you um, and make sure, you know, if there's uh, uh, anybody who can stay on with us, uh, we would be happy to take the, some of the other questions from uh, we, the other folks on uh, in our audience or um, give you the opportunity um, to give your last thoughts about this, because this has been an extraordinary conversation on an ex unbelievable subject. Uh, well, thank you. I, I do need to jump off at six, I'm afraid, for my next, uh, my next Zoom. Um, but thank you all uh, so much for uh, the discussion tonight. Uh, and and uh, to my colleague, Madeline Dean, uh, what an honor to serve with you. And thank you for being such a leader uh, on the Judiciary Committee and with respect to defending our Constitution. Um, we're going to get through this crisis. Uh, I have every confidence in the resilience of our country. I do think what we do in this moment will determine how quickly we get through it uh, and how much damage we have to suffer along the way. Um, and I think there's a role for all of us right now, uh, all of us in Congress, but all of us uh, in our private capacity, our corporate and civic life, uh, to defend our democracy in what is its darkest hour. Uh, and, uh, and organizations like the Common Good are doing that every day. So Patricia, thank you to my dear friend, Jane, my role model 
my predecessor on the Intel committee. Uh, such a great pleasure to be with you uh, and, uh, and wish you continued good success. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And I, I want to, you know, Madeline, I don't know if you can stay with us a little bit longer. I think Jasmine has agreed to stay longer and Jane's agreed to stay longer. I can stay till at least 10 after. Without All work. right. Well, we'll, we'll take okay. a few more, few more questions. Thank you so much. Adam. Bye, Adam. I hope we uh, see you again Bye, soon. Thank Bye, you. Um, so some, some of these uh, folks are still with us. Jim Zyron, do you have a question for Madeline? For Congresswoman um, Dean. Matt or Madeline is fine. <laughs> okay. Yes. Jim, are you with us? I'm unmuted. Okay. I'm disappointed. That, I'm disappointed that Adam Schiff isn't with us because he has uh, uh, expressed, as he did, I think, this afternoon, uh, some dissatisfaction with the pace of the Justice Department investigation. Uh, his mentor and teacher, Larry Tribe, has written a marvelous op-ed in which he's questioned uh, the uh, uh, conduct of the Justice Department. We're a year after the event. There's no evidence that subpoenas have been served on anyone other than the so-called low-hanging fruit uh, or that they've investigated the facts. Now, a lot of these facts are in the public domain. They've come out through the work of the uh, committee uh, and have come out really through the work of the Washington Post. But, uh, and it is not uncommon uh, when you have a mega event like 9-11, a terrorist attack for, prosecutors to make public statements, to reassure the public uh, that the matter is in hand and it's being investigated. And uh, I wondered whether uh, Congresswoman Dean shares the view, uh, which was expressed by Tribe and uh, I think by Adam Schiff uh, some time ago, that uh, they just, uh, the Justice Department is just dragging his feet. I mean, they uh, uh, Garland in his press conference said, oh, we need more legislation. Well. Uh, more legislation, first place isn't going to do any good because it's after the event. And second place, how about conspiracy to defraud the United States? How about insurrection? How about sedition? There are a lot of statutes on the books uh, that could be enforced, and it's their duty to enforce it. Well, uh, Jim, I share your, your sense of frustration. I share your sense of urgency. Here we are on the eve of the first anniversary. Uh, and um, I want more people to be held to account at the highest levels and with the harshest uh, appropriate uh, set, um, uh, ch uh, charges, I should say. Um, so I think today might have been an important step for the Attorney General to come out. I was reminded after Watergate that the Attorney General uh, did a bit of a messaging tour around the country to reassure the country that the attorney general was on the case in the proper ways. Uh, so uh, I, I don't want to uh, leap into the territory that uh, Larry Tribe, who served us so well during uh, impeachments one and two, was a scholar uh, advisor to us. Uh, so I'll defer to him in terms of what he thinks should happen. But I do want to keep the pressure in terms of just a civic responsibility uh, on the uh, Department of Justice to make sure they act as swiftly and severely as is appropriate 
for this historic uh, attack uh, on our democracy. So I, I, I share your frustration, Jim, and I thank you for voicing it. Thank you. Um, since we've, I was so happy that you, Jane, you asked uh, Jasmine that question about uh, the press and their, the importance, and you gave such a good response. But um, in that line, I'd like to see if um, Judy Miller still has a question. Can you, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Hi. Okay, great. I, I wanted to know what, uh, um, obviously there's the presidential issue, the issue of the former president, what, what did he know, when did he know it, but Adam Schiff referred to other important things that are yet to be determined. In your view, Madeline uh, uh, Dean, what, do you, what are the most important issues that you think the committee needs to explore now, and can they do so without the testimony and participation of former Vice President Pence and the others whom the committee has subpoenaed who are now resisting those subpoenas. Thank you. Thank you for the question. I, I do have confidence, even though we see some of the more well-known names and of course somebody as high up as uh, Vice President Pence uh, potentially resisting uh, coming forward. Uh, I, I literally, what I wanna know is the, the calendar of events. Who was there? What were they doing? You take a look at some of the evidence that we have in the last three days leading up to the insurrection, the meetings in the Oval Office, the attempt uh, to unseat the Attorney General and put in Clark as a puppet, um, the bravery or, or appropriate behavior of the White House counsel to say we will resign. So I wanna know the facts, who played what role when uh, and who is covering up now? I serve with some of these members. You've seen, uh, for example, Jim Jordan spout lie after lie after lie. And yet when asked by an interviewer, uh, when did you speak to the president? Did you speak to him on January the 6th? Uh, instead of the glib lies that he spews uh, on the floor of the House or in uh, Judiciary Committee, he stammered to try to come up with whatever the heck would be the appropriate answer for when he spoke to the president. We need to know exactly who was involved, when were they involved, um, and hold them accountable to the lies that sent American citizens to attack American citizens. You've seen these interviews. It is so poisonous what happened. And from a member of the Judiciary Committee, we watched it and it was frustrating to hear former Attorney General Barr spout those lies, sow the seeds of um, dissatisfaction in our elections, distrust of our elections. I want to know who was involved in this web, this conspiracy to mislead the American public, to distrust the results of the election, and then ultimately to come attack the Capitol. Uh, the other thing I want out of this is what uh, Adam, I think, would uh, rightly talk to you about, which is putting back guardrails that we realized got blown through. Uh, he has a package of bills uh, protecting our democracy act. I have one bill in that born out of frustration for, from our inability to enforce subpoenas, congressional subpoenas. So I have the one piece, which is the subpoena compliance act. So while I want the truth to happen here, I want us moving forward for the protection of our democracy. Uh, so that we prevent another despot, desperate, sick um, leader of this country 
God willing, we never have one again uh, from doing all of the corrupt things uh, that this president did. Uh, so uh, it is a weighty time. Uh, and I, I do think, and I really do appreciate Jasmine, your reporting in the press. There was press up where I was uh, as we were evacuated out of the gallery. And I know how terrified and terrorized uh, you all were. Uh, but I admire you for doing your work. This is, you know, American citizenship is not a spectator sport. It is going to take all of us, whether you're elected, you're in the media, uh, you're in nonprofit organizations, you're civically engaged. Um, it's going to take all of us to reveal the truth, hold people accountable, and move forward uh, for the protection of our democracy. Thank you so much. And we actually have a question for you, Jasmine, from uh, Rick Gordon. Uh, thank you very much, Patricia. As always, great to see you and a great, uh, a great thing today. So I thank the panel. Um, Jasmine, my question is really a simple one. Um, you know, we keep talking about insurrection, which the American people have no idea what an insurrection is. But we all understand what treason is. And if you look up the definition of treason, it's the attempt to overthrow a sovereign or a government, which this was. My question is, why is the media so reluctant to use the word, which is a very strong word, treason, and call this what it is so everybody understands exactly what we're talking about? I think there's questions like that on every issue about language. I mean, I, I think we've just stuck with insurrection and riot and just trying to be describe it, describe the events as they happen. Um, I don't think we've all gotten together and say we're not going to use the word treason. <laughs> but um, no one has. <laughs> excuse me. No one has. I mean, no, 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 no yeah. outlets have referred to this as treason. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Why don't you use it? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. And I think if I could speak to that, um, before I came to um, Congress, I, I taught writing uh, for 10 years at a university in Philadelphia, writing and rhetoric. Uh, and I remember uh, teaching my students, words matter. You know, you got to be precise about the words that you use uh, and be sure of your facts. And I remember uh, coming into Congress uh, and a reluctance to say that, for example, the former president was lying. I remember just a sort of a deference thinking, okay, it has not been proven, just like maybe treason has not yet been proven, but you might say treasonous behavior. Uh, that might be an option uh, for describing that which has happened. Um, but notice how, sadly, uh, how badly the behavior was uh, I very quickly went away from simply using the word um, misinformation or disinformation uh, to lies. We have to actually make sure that we call things as we are. They can't, we can't be polite about that. Um, so I think in the case of the word treason, I think until maybe it is actually proven somewhere, you could say treasonous behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think we have used descriptions like that. And I think lies was a big one we have we've had discussions about racism we couldn't even say the word racist as much as as you know it took a it took a newsroom discussion to do that so i think outlets have always been slow <laughs> do you have time for one more question from rick solomon he says it's an awesome last question okay thank, thank you patricia wonderful panel uh, great job jane 
My question goes to the alternative reality you discussed before, Congressman Dean, and that really is the issue of how do we as our institutions and the public deal with the fact that, as the University of Chicago and other studies have shown, tens of millions of Americans still believe that the election was stolen and some subset of that still in the millions believe that violence should be used to restore the former president? Uh, Rick, that is uh, the question of the hour. I don't have the answer. I'm right. hoping through the exposure of the truth by shining a bright light on it. We're not going to get everybody, uh, but that we will, I hope, begin to see a tamping down of, uh, of the continuation of the big lie. Also, of course, it will be important that the former president is pushed out of power. He will be seen as feckless. Uh, and I hope um, those whom he supports for election uh, will be unsuccessful. You see some candidates try to distance themselves from him and the poisonous content of his tenure. Uh, I think it's going to take time and exposure to the truth. And I don't know that we'll ever fully heal uh, or we'll ever fully get uh, those who think um, that um, these lives are true or that violence might be the solution. But if we can get out of this hot, hot, uh, white hot set of lies uh, by exposing the truth, holding some people accountable, I think that's the only path. Uh, we've been here before in very difficult times in our country's history uh, where uh, Americans fought Americans. I hope we don't come to that ever again, uh, but it's going to take leadership on everybody's part. Well, and I just want to add to that because that is something, you know, looking into the conspiracy theories and the lies, and there's another question in the chat about this, about how it's been happening since the 1950s, it's been happening even further than that. And I've been, I've talked to a lot of historians about, about that. I've talked to um, political scientists about that, about how there's always been this conspiratorial strain within the Republican Party, um, and it's flowed in, in currents of, of, of conservative populism, racism, fear of black racial progress and, and resentment over a, a dwindling of, of white middle class. And so, it, so it, it comes in these spurts and it never ever really went away. Um, it, it, it appeared to be tamed at, at one point, but it really just went underground. And so I think, you know, in talking to white supremacist experts and, 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 supremac and white supremacist experts and historians, they say that that, that we're in a really dangerous moment because of the lack of pushback from Republican elected officials, that more Republican elected officials need to come forward. So it's not just Democrats who need to denounce it, but Republicans and powerful Republicans. It's, it's one of the things that confounds me. Um, I, I thank you. I wonder, Marilyn, did you have something to add? I wonder if Jane, you had a response to that. What's our way forward? Well, um, I, <laughs> I think truth matters. Uh, I think all boundaries seem to be gone and civility is also gone. And some of the things said by some members to others are absolutely deplorable. Let's use that word. And it's a good thing that at least some of them have paid some consequence in the house for saying what they're saying. Um, but I worry too that, that uh, very aggressive words, some of you may disagree with me, continue this polarization and that we have to be careful to at least leave room for civil conversation. That was something I worked very hard at at the Wilson Center. 
Uh, and we got members to come who don't talk to each other in, in Congress and their staffs don't either to come down and talk to each other. And we provided a safe political space. And so going forward, where should this end? This should end with, uh, uh, and I love that, that Adam was positive and I've got to go, apologies to all in about three nanoseconds. Where This should end with a coming back together. America is under attack. That's what I said 9-11 symbolized. 1-6 also symbolizes America is under attack and the finger pointing at nasty words aren't gonna fix it. So uh, I, I'm for saying things directly, but I am for thinking about whether the words we use are going to add to polarization or maybe try to heal this country. Here, 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 here. Great, great way to finish. Thank you so much. You've all been so helpful today. You've added so much to our conversation. Jane, you just did a great job. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's great to meet you, Congresswoman Dean and Jasmine Eloa. Thank you so much. I hope we can have you back again. Uh, we've got a lot of wonderful events coming up with um, Huma Abedin, Ambassador Martin Indyk, Kati Martin on Angela Merkel, Fiona Hill. Um, and uh, we'll talk about President Biden's year one, rising leaders you should meet. We're gonna have Connor Lamb in a couple of weeks and we'll scope out the midterm elections among many, many other events that we've got planned. So thank you so much. I hope we see you all very soon. Thank you.